0: Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. While the hugs are finishing, I want to just have a a quick, quick little chat with you before my message, okay? And I've got to keep this part short. I grew up in the church, and I grew up in the 1980s, And I'm not going to say every time a church or a pastor was in the news in the 1980s. It was a lot, most of the time. It had something to do with the pastor's approach to asking for money and playing on people's emotions. And uh, when I later, I, I, I hated it. I hated it. I hated that persona. It looked nothing like Jesus. It looked nothing like what I thought the church was supposed to look like and then later i became a pastor <laughs> and i went into pastoring just deciding we're not going to make money an issue if people want to give great if they don't want to give they're going to be just as welcomed the only problem with that is as i as the church started to grow and bills and hiring people and rentals you know this building here cost us close to four thousand dollars a month just just for sunday mornings there is a business aspect to the church. And so I found myself from time to time talking about the importance of giving as a, as a function, as a, a part of our relationship with God. And I would dread it. I would put it off. I, 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 would, I was supposed to do it at least once a year. <laughs> I would skip two or three years. I haven't talked about this subject matter for the last three and a half to four years. And I kid you not, the last time we did, almost four years ago... Apparently, someone was with us that morning for the very first time, and they posted a Google review about our church later that day, and I just, you know, I lost sleep over this. Went to this church first time, all they do is talk about money. The pastor centers everything they do around money, and, and I wanted, you know, you want to defend, like, I forget to even thank people for giving. Easter this year. Every pastor in North America strategically mentions the offering on Easter Sunday. It's the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know. It's the big Sunday of the year. You know, at least thank people for their giving. Remind people. We have a, giving baskets. We totally botched it again. Didn't mention the offering. <laughs> if anything, we err toward not mentioning it enough. And so, if you're new here, I'm going to ask you to just trust as best you can. Uh <laughs> I think most here today and those who aren't with us today would vouch that you probably have trouble remembering the last time we talked about financial giving at the church and and what it has to do with our relationship with God. Uh, So I just hope you'll trust that and you'll keep coming back. We've devoted two weeks to this. It's very important. And what precipitated this a couple months ago was we've had our first downturn I mean, we survived the pandemic when churches were telling all kinds of stories during the pandemic of being in financial crisis. I mean, I'm so proud of you. We were able to hire a pastor during the pandemic. We just, everybody just stuck together and we just invested. And through the last quarter of last year, October, November, December, we hit the budget, giving was strong. And then in January, we had our first significant dip. Nobody that I know of has left the church. I don't know of anybody who's stopped giving. It's just, it seems what's happened nationwide and everywhere has kind of hit us here a little bit. But instead of just talking about the importance of giving to our church, I want to go beyond that to the heart of Jesus, to look at what it is to manage wealth, to not look at what we have as owners, but to look at what we have as managers, okay? Okay. All right, you with me? You're going to trust me as much as you can in that, and uh, yeah, good, good. All right, here we go. My mom's here today. Um, We had a, a pretty emotional talk last summer when my brother was in town. The four of us were together, and our parents said, hey, we want to talk to you boys about something. And it sounded serious, and we were like, what's going on, everything okay? They said, yeah, everything's fine. But we want to talk about that eventual day. And I was like, gulp, you know, when we're not here anymore. And uh, when we die, we want to talk about the house and some financials. And there's a drawer. There's a drawer in our file, a file drawer we want to show you guys. Um, And so, you know, there were some tears and there was some sadness and somber. But, man, this became a profound conversation for my brother and I because something we've always known we'd always seen in our parents really just crystallized really became clear. So <clears throat> they're taking us through all of these, you know, files and papers and this and and we realized, Brian and I realized, wow, they've you've got enough here to travel some in retirement. You guys could do some things you've never done. They've traveled some, but they haven't been big world travelers. You guys ought to do like a big exotic trip for two weeks to Europe or three weeks or, you know, and they said, we might, we might do that and we're going to travel some, but we really want to save as much of what we've worked for to pass on to you boys. And we're encouraging them, it's yours, spend it, go have fun. And they're like, well, we see this as yours. And so we got into kind of this weird little back and forth, no, it's yours, no, it's, it's yours, we're trying to save it for you guys. And that became kind of the theme of this conversation. And I'm going to be really transparent here, okay? <laughs> uh, we're not talking about millions. We're not talking about a half million. We're talking about a modest amount that they've worked hard at hoping to still be there to pass down to Brian and me. And they said, you know, healthcare reasons may, may prevent that from happening. You know, we'll see. And then my dad talked about his job. So he retired about seven or eight years ago. He's almost 79. He's been working in retirement every Tuesday for a shoe company. A friend of his owns a shoe company in, in Winchester, and every Tuesday he works there. And we've known my dad loves to interact with everybody and call on all the clients, and, and he loves working with his friend. But he said, but in addition to that, I'm also trying to just earn a little bit extra cash so we can save this amount to pass on to you boys. And my brother took the words out of my mouth. That happens with us a lot. He said what I was thinking, and then I said my version of it. Okay, when the day comes that this inheritance is ours, it it won't actually be ours. We will manage it for someone else, just like you're trying to do. My parents have been trying to manage this little nest egg and what they've worked hard for for someone else, they told us, for us. And we told them, well, we're going to manage it for your grandkids. And so is life in the space and the realm and the presence and activity that Jesus calls the kingdom of God, his kingdom. There may be no more serious, important subject that Jesus brings you and I face to face with than the topic of money and how we think about money. This may shock you. I've read many authors and books. What I'm about to say, if you haven't heard this or read it before, is probably going to shock you like it did me years ago. I've read so many authors. I read so many great teachers, historians like Ron Chernow and David McAuliffe. I just downloaded a couple weeks ago Doris Kearns Goodwin's book. Leadership in Turbulent Times. I've read for decades the Malcolm Gladwells from The New Yorker and Patrick Lencioni's, Bus- so many smart storytellers and historians and teachers. I have never believed as strongly as I do today that Jesus is the greatest teacher who's ever lived. Remarkable storyteller, ingenious in how he connects the human soul to what's really broken with humanity and his view his view of outsiders. His mercy and compassion for outsiders uh, who are broken or have regrets. And his view of self-righteous, arrogant insiders who think that they're the ones connected to God. And his view of the future and his dream for us. In all of his remarkable teachings, Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. And when I first read that or heard that years ago, I just couldn't believe it. I thought, there's no way that's true. And then I researched it and read, oh my gosh, it's true more than sex, more than heaven and eternity, Jesus talked about money. And so it seems that, and and, and here's another fascinating thing, is Jesus never asked for money. That's a remarkable fact. Never once do we have a record of Jesus asking for money. So he talked about it, he illustrated it, he refers to it because of something about the human condition, not because he's collecting offerings. That would come later when the church started, and the apostles are doing their work. We're going to look at an example here of Paul challenging Pastor Timothy in regards to church giving. But Jesus didn't talk about money because he needed it or was asking for offerings. He talks about it so consistently because he knows there's a remarkable element to money that nothing else on this planet has. Jesus knew the reality that money has the unmatched ability... Unlike any other subject or any other circumstance on on earth, money has the ability like nothing else to reveal the true condition of the human heart. So, Ron Blue is a very renowned financial consultant. He's run one of the most respected finance consulting companies for years He's a follower of Jesus. He's brilliant in helping individuals, families, and companies, corporations... ...look at their assets as managers rather than owners. That's his conviction from Scripture. is that God never intended us to see our stuff as our stuff... ...but as God's belongings and values that we manage... ...that have been entrusted to us. And so he built an incredible financial consulting firm on this principle... And he, in 2017, in a Forbes article, I heard this story years ago, and I've read it again recently. About five years ago, Forbes interviewed him about his story and building this financial consulting company that's so respected. And he takes the, the interviewer back to the day that this all started for him. The trajectory of his life, Ron Blue, the financial consultant's life, changed when he went to Africa to visit a friend of his who was a pastor of a village. He was a, a village leader and a pastor. And he gets there and, and discovers that his, his friend, his pastor, lives in a mud hut. And if I remember the article, right, he was there about a, a week, living in this village with the villagers. And at one point, Ron Blue asks his friend, who's the leader of this village, so what's what's the big struggle here? What's the biggest, if you could name, like, the most significant struggle that the villagers have here, what is it? He's thinking, you know, unclean drinking water or, or some. He's shocked at his friend's answer. His friend said, the, the biggest problem that everyone in this village has is never having enough. Everybody always wants more. And Ron, Ron Ballou is like, what? Like, is it, are you joking? And he was dead serious. And his friend starts taking him through. Like, somebody finally is able to build a mud hut. And they're not in the mud hut up out of the weather or their family out of the weather very long at all before they're complaining or they're talking to other people about how they wish they could build a cow manure hut. Now, sidebar, I, before this story and understanding this, I would have thought the upgrade would have been from cow manure hut to mud hut, but... uh, Manure and animal urine mixed in the dirt and mud actually make a home more rainproof, waterproof. Okay, so who knew? Uh, Hopefully we all learn something every week in church. I I hope that's not your aha moment that you, you know, when you think back today to what you remember, what you learned. So, and and somebody's not in a a, a more waterproof house very long before you hear the grumbling in the village that they wish they had a house made out of rock or out of stone, and then he, he goes to the example of roofs. Somebody gets a thatch roof. And instead of walking in gratitude, or, or that's their tone, soon I hear among the people in the village, oh, I wish I had a metal, a tin roof. Now, I'll tell you my takeaway. My takeaway from this story is I wish every, this is in the 1970s, I wish every villager in the 1970s who Ron Blue's visiting could have a home made out of stone or concrete and a, a metal roof. And Ron Blue does too, and he talks about how that was his immediate reaction. But his takeaway coming back to the United States was, this is a human condition. This is a universal, it's it's a universal issue of the human heart to always want more, to never have enough. So he comes home and dedicates his life to advising and consulting people, coaching people, On actually building wealth, particularly in this part of the world, to see yourself as a wealth builder, but specifically as a manager, a wealth manager, not not an owner. It seems that Jesus is getting to one particular question consistently in all of his references, all of his stories. Jesus told 30, in all of his teachings, he told 36 parables. Do you realize that in the 36 parables, the fable-like illustrations he would use to connect us to to a, a piece of reality that he's trying to help us understand. In those parables, 36 of them, 16 were about money. And in his consistent reference to money, he understands it has the unmatched, unparalleled ability to reveal what's really going on inside of here. It seems that he's driving consistently at the same question. How much is enough? Now, I'm not asking the village in Africa in the 1970s how much is enough. I'm asking us, Westerners, in 2022. I'll just, another sidebar. uh, We've been told now for many years, we live in the wealthiest country in human history, uh, in the wealthiest generation. ...of the wealthiest country in human history. Okay, so we're going to keep that in perspective. I'm asking us how much is enough. Before we look at something Jesus says... ...I want to look at something that Paul says to Timothy. We just read to Andrew something. Paul the Apostle is challenging young Timothy... ...the pastor of this church in metropolitan Ephesus... ...one of the largest cities... ...anywhere close to the Mediterranean. Here's Timothy pastoring this young church... And Paul challenges him in the vein of what Jesus has been building in our hearts consistently on this. This is what Paul says. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Godliness is is caring about the things that matter to God. Growing in his character. Looking at the world the way God looks at the world. Godliness is... With contentment is itself great wealth. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. And we know this. We know what I'm about to say. And yet, every time I'm in a conversation regarding what I'm about to say, it's so good for me. It level sets me. I think it will level set you to hear this again, even though you know it. At funerals. Or a couple years after we've lost a friend or a family member or during the holidays, when when you're looking back at somebody that you've loved, you never, no one ever talks about the kind of stuff they had. We don't talk about, yeah, I remember when they had the, the they went from the condo to the to the starter house and and then they got a townhouse and then. And then, remember that year they had the, the nice house, and they invested in the, a mountain house somewhere, or they had the Airbnb? We don't have those conversations. We don't talk about, you know, the, te- the, the blue Tesla, that blue color. It was, when that was the right car. When they got the blue one, we don't talk that way. We don't talk about the kind of stuff somebody had. We talk about the kind of person they were. always. For those who want to get rich, Paul doesn't say being rich is a problem. In fact, we see people in Scripture who are rich. God has called people, specific people in Scripture, who who actually are rich. And you could even argue that living in the United States, living in our generation, living in a context like we live, there's, there's an inherent spiritual expectancy that we're going to have wealth. We're going to manage wealth to some degree. He says... Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap <clears throat> into many foolish and harmful desires that, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I think it's interesting that when two of the richest Americans ever in history were asked the question, how much is enough? They both said the same thing. So I'm reading uh, Ron Chernell's book, Titan, about John D. Rockefeller. And it's actually softened me a little bit in my perception of him. You know, I just had this kind of hard view of Rockefeller being so maniacal. He was a complicated figure who was the wealthiest person in the world in the 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s. In fact, uh, I read one person said, if you took his wealth today, if Rockefeller were alive today with that same wealth today, no joke, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates would look like middle class. That's how wealthy Rockefeller was. He was worth 1% of the U.S. economy. (laughs) One person was worth 1% of every dollar, every U.S. dollar. And Rockefeller was asked, how much is enough? And he said, a little bit more. And it's exactly what Howard Hughes said. Howard Hughes, the eccentric billionaire from California, who, by the way, died, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio played him. He died that miserable, sad, like, Tormented man that he, he's referred to as the bankrupt billionaire, he had been asked, and famously, Mr. Hughes, how much is enough? He said, Just a little bit more was his answer. For the love of money, Paul says to Timothy, who Timothy is now supposed to teach his church this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. Paul doesn't say Jesus never says money is evil. No one in Scripture ever says money's evil. Nobody ever says certain kinds of homes are evil or the kinds of car. You know, you get into this realm, now you're... Income levels. In and of themselves, no. There's nothing about an income that can be good or bad. It's that the human heart, the problem is the human heart has the tendency, the inclination to always want more, to always crave more. What I have is not enough. Paul's not even saying don't desire promotions or pay increases. That's a part of managing wealth. We're instructed to save for the future. Wisdom is about saving and investing well. Jesus tells a parable about investing our gifts and talents, including our our financials well. The consistent message is, The love of money, desiring to be rich can cause devastation in our relationships and every part of our lives because we've centered our life around the idea of collecting and owning something for myself rather than managing something that belongs to someone else. Before we get to a story about Jesus... One of the many examples, I'm going to finish this, a few, few more verses here where Paul's challenging Timothy to challenge the church. Teach those, referring to those in Timothy's church in Ephesus, teach those who are rich in this world. Now he's specifically talking about those who have incomes, those who are doing okay. Timothy teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God does care about our enjoyment. Now, it's all building to this. Hear this heart of Paul that's been shaped entirely by Jesus' view of our world and humanity and our future and who he's turning us into and shaping us to be. Jesus has so shaped Paul and Paul is now shaping Timothy to in turn instruct the people of the church that if you're following Jesus in the way of Jesus, he says, tell them, the people of the church, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generosity to help those in need, always ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future age. We talked about that last week. So that they may experience life that is true life. This phrase, rich in generosity. Rich in generosity. Paul's not even saying rich in doing good once in a while. Or giving back once in a while. Americans are good at that. We're good at that. We're good at seeing earthquakes and disasters or house fires or needs and and responding. Paul's not even talking about giving back from time to time. He's talking about becoming from the inside out. It defines us generous, a generous person, rich in generosity. The pursuit of more, never having enough, always robs us of The lifestyle, the mentality and lifestyle of generosity. All right, again, before Jesus, one thing that King Solomon says. King Solomon was the wealthiest man in the world in his day, by God's design. He's writing Ecclesiastes, and he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And then he uses this word This too is meaningless, meaningless. It's interesting he uses the word meaning because meaning is what we've been taught as the definition of money. Money for so many people provides meaning or is meaningful or at the very least what money can buy is what we deem as meaningful. So much so that it can make our lives meaningful. Money does not make your life meaningful. So I want to unpack this with you By looking at Luke 16, Jesus has just told a complex parable. It's fascinating. Everybody's on the edge of their seats as he describes a man who was the manager of an estate for a rich person. Jesus is talking about this manager, this estate manager, who's managing the wealth of this, this, this rich person who doesn't really even enter the story. And it's a complicated story, and now he's starting to explain it to all the listeners The Pharisees are listening, and and the outsiders, people who have been considered unclean or not worthy to follow. There, Jesus has welcomed them in, and everybody's listening to the story, and Jesus begins to explain. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And people are probably like, well, what do you mean trusted with much? What? Who's going to trust me with something? I've got a job to do, and I've got a family to take care of. What's Jesus talking about? And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And, and the crowd must have been thinking, worldly wealth, well, whatever, whatever, what other kind of wealth is there than the paycheck I earn? What is Jesus talking about if I'm not trustworthy with worldly wealth? There's some other kind of riches. Jesus is unveiling at the end of this amazing story that we were designed by God to be managing someone else's resources. It all belongs to God. Now, when I say your house belongs to God and your video games and your your devices and your cars and your incomes, that doesn't mean we walk out of here and we sell our house and we live on the street. Somebody literally years ago, 10 years ago, walked up to me and said, if it all belongs to God, then I shouldn't live in my house. And I looked at them like, Is that what you heard me say? And they were like, yeah, I I don't understand. And I said, no, God wants you to live in your house. He cares about your job and doing well at your job. He cares about the cars. But when we think that my devices and video games and my home and It all belongs to God. You think about people differently. You start to look at your home thinking, you know, what kinds of relationships should be happening? Who should I be hosting? Who should I be inviting into my home? Who should I be feeding? What kind of laughter should be? You think differently as a manager than it's just mine. Look what I've gotten. Look, look, the next house will be this much bigger. This will be this. And we're free. We're free. To live who we were designed to live, thinking about and investing in others and the people around us. And what our church is all about and what we want to be in the community. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Jesus is helping us see in this story and so many other places that money is a tool. We know this as Americans. We know money's a tool. Jesus is talking about money being a means to an end. And this is where we start to get to the root of what meaning is really about. I debated titling this message. We landed on the meaning of meaning is today's title. The meaning of meaning. It's like that sounds a little cheesy. But that, that, Jesus is starting to reveal what meaning actually means. For anything to mean something... Anything. It must become a means to an end. It must be a means to an end. By definition, something has meaning when it's a means to an end. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Now, this is Jesus' satirical, dramatic language here. Or you will be be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot center your life around collecting and building wealth for yourself and also pursue pursue the way of Jesus. You're not actually following Jesus. If the security of your life and the way you define meaning, you being meaningful, you having meaning, is what you collect and what you earn, it's, it's the opposite of what Jesus has called us to, the one who went to the cross for you and me. The one who bent down and washed our feet and told us, now to follow me, you must go and live this way. Jesus knows that money has the ability, unlike anything else, to reveal what's really going on. How we actually define ourselves. How we look at and define others often has to do with money or status. Security. Fear, so much of our fear, our need for control is tied often to money and how we look at money. What makes something meaningful in life is when it is actually a means to an end. And this is what Jesus is consistently trying to teach us. Andy Stanley wrote a book, If Money Could Talk... And he said this, he actually addresses this in the book. If you want to have a meaningful life, your life must become a means to an end and an end that isn't you. If you want your life to truly be meaningful, your life must become like Jesus' life. You must become, you must become a means to an end. Amy and I and the girls went to dinner at some friend's house a couple years ago. And after dinner, we were in the the dining room area. Paul just got up and quietly went out of the room into the garage. And he came back riding in his kitchen around the island a Segway, a Segway Mini. And I was like, this is so cool. And we were just, you know, he was talking to us while riding it. And and I was like, this is like the best thing. I've seen Segways. I've just never been on one. And I just, I, he was like, you want to try it? I was like, I don't think so. And then I, five minutes later, I was like, this is easier than I thought. And I was riding around. Well, a month or two later, Amy and the girls surprised me with a Segway Mini. And here it is. Now, <clears throat> I forgot my helmet. And i I got in trouble this morning already in the hallway. Because there were some kids in the hall. And here I am on my Segway. <clears throat> so, I on my birthday, get this thing, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so good. We go out in the street, neighbors came out, everybody's taking turns riding this, and I'm making you nervous, aren't I? Like, toward the ed- edge of the stage. So I fell in love. This was like love at first sight. There's one problem, though, with this. It, By definition, in my life at least, it has no meaning, no real meaning, because <laughs> I've had it for two years. I cannot figure out what it is a means to an end to. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's fun. It's, an, it's novelty. People, went, this morning Michael was up here writing it on stage earlier. Uh, you could say it's a means to an end for a few minutes of fun. That's technically true. But in, in terms of actual, actually providing meaning in life, I haven't figured it out. It's, it's, it's cool. It's fun to talk about. <laughs> it doesn't add life to any, uh, meaning to anybody's life. And by definition, that means it has no meaning. Because to have meaning, you must be a means to an end. The object must be a means to an end. That's what meaning means. (laughs) To not be about you, but to be about something greater, a benefit that you are going to be to someone else. And this is consistently what Jesus is calling us to. When you become a means to an end, your money follows. Does your job matter? Of course it does. Should you work for promotions? Of course you should. Should you work hard? Should you be thinking about your own retirement and savings? Of course you should. Jesus instructs us to do that. But when we crave, when we own, when we center our lives around what we're building for ourselves, everything falls apart. Eventually your relationships end up, Shallow, you end up sad. I sat in my office with a, a, a man in his 40s a number of years ago, CEO of a company, in tears. He was wealthier than he could have ever imagined, and he wasn't boasting. He said, Brad, I could not ever have imagined having this much wealth to call myself what I, I never wanted to say the word rich. I am rich, and I've never been so sad. And I'm trying to process these things with him. And I'm not picking on him. This is a, this is a universal problem. This, these conversations happen in little African villages, apparently. The Pharisees who loved money <laughs> heard all this and were sneering at Jesus, of course. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. This is always about the human heart. The subject of money Jesus talking about money, illustrating this coin, the pearl, this gets lost, the prodigal son and the inheritance he receives from his father. And all the stories, all the illustration, everything is driving to it, exposes what's really in the human heart, what really is about control, what you're trying to control, what really scares you, where you feel insecure or you feel secure. And you were made, and you were designed, and this is what Dulles Church was designed to be. We are designed as a church to be a means to an end. We are not trying to build an empire here. We're not trying to build just a larger group of people. We are trying to live out, truly as best we can, the heart of Jesus into our community that is desperate for him. Amy and I, when we got married, we decided, we made a decision that some of you might think is... Seems a little extreme or bizarre. We made the decision because we were raised this way. Our parents did it. Both, both of our parents. We predetermined a percentage of our incomes that we would always give away. I'm not boasting when I say this. This isn't, if anything, this is about protecting my own heart and just keeping myself more open-handed. We decided, and we always have, we've always given automatically this percentage, most of it to our church, percentage of our income away. Our girls do this. We've taught our girls a couple weeks ago. Reagan in the kitchen was making her offer. 10% of everything Reagan makes, she gives to Dulles Church. Mackenzie does this. I'm doing a wedding at the end of this year with a, 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 she was a young girl in our church who grew up in our church. She's on the West Coast now. She's getting married. I'm going to challenge them as a couple. Just make that decision. Seriously consider A percentage of your income that is just always going to, and you're going to live on the rest. You're going to give this percentage away and live on the rest. And you know why I feel confident? If you you feel like I'm invading a little bit, this is a little invasive, like, Brad, don't tell me what to do with my money. You know why I'm confident to tell you that you should live on a percentage of your income? Because every human being does. (laughs) We all do. We all live on a percentage of our income. So why not just predetermine? I'm going to give this much away and I'm going to live on the rest. Will there still be financial challenges? Of course. Amy and I've had we sit down with the budget, we talk about you know my income's fixed, hers is not that can fluctuate from year to year. We have there been stressful times, sure. Does inflation hurt? Yes it does. But I'm telling you we are more open-handed when there's a little financial Moment that can stress us out. We felt stressed. We're not as stressed as I know we would have been if it's all ours. And this, we live every day, every month, every, all, every year with the mentality we're managing. We're giving back to God a percentage of what's already his. I'm telling you, you see the world differently. You see needs and crisis differently. Almost done. Paul does not talk about giving. He uses the word generosity. There's a difference between giving and generosity. Just a quick point on this. Giving is something we do. And I said this earlier. We're good at it. America, I I really, you know, American Idol. We would watch American Idol with the girls and they'd do Idol Gives Back and it would be millions to, you know, some cause or a hurricane or something. We're good at seeing a a need or a a catastrophe and, and responding and having compassion. But giving is doing. Generous or generosity is being. Jesus isn't asking us to give from time to time. He's asking us to become something. If you want to be generous when you have more, and this is the tendency. This was my tendency. I used to think this way. I'd hear a talk like this or something like this, and I would think, okay, most people in this room or in one financial state, you know, college loans or, you know, I, I'm not there yet, Brad. I've, I've got, I'm limited in my ability right now. We, this is our tendency, and you might be doing this like, well, maybe this applies to most people here. But I'm telling you, if you want to be generous when you have more, learn to trust God and practice being generous when you have less. Start it now. We, the directional team, we've talked here in recent months about some charts. We have a couple charts. One chart is a 2, 4, 6, 8, 10 chart to, to getting back on track with our budget. Just, you know, meeting our budget, having a little bit to, to be saving. We want to have our own building someday. We don't want to be frivolous with that. We, so to think about the future, to meet where we are right now. One of our uh, charts is if ten, if 10 people or 10 homes or 10 families increase their giving by $100 a month. And if eight increased by $250 a month. And if six increased by $500 a month. If four increased their giving 1000 a month. And if two, if two homes or two individuals increased their giving by 2000 a month, we'd be at budget and we'd have a little bit of margin to be thinking about the next quarter at the end of the year going into 2023. And if, by the way, if $2,000 a month seems crazy to you. If you're like, what? We have, we have families in this church that give or exceed $2,000 a month to the church. And I'm so grateful. And we do, you know, we, we, our family is committed to this, what we call the dream of God in our church. And then there's another chart that says the same thing that gets there too. And we just decided we're not going to give charts. We're not going to do goals. We're going to just, let's just do it. Let's just do it. You, you pray, you talk at home Let's invest here understanding God's heart ultimately is for us to be individual examples of what our church is. Our church is a means to an end in this community. If you are here and you're new or maybe you're brand new and you don't know if you even trust a church or you don't trust churches, the last thing you're going to do right now is give your money to church. I get it. I seriously get it. All I'm asking you to do is just keep joining us. Just keep joining us. Come listen to what we believe, what our story is. I would say to you, designate a percentage of your income to give away and find an organization you trust and give. If you do trust us here, if this is your church home, pray about giving generously so that we can fund and resource and do what needs to be done in Dulles Kids and middle school and high school and and our plans for the future, and how we want to impact this region. I used to dread these talks. I'm telling you, I wouldn't eat. I I, I wouldn't sleep well. Amy would be like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait till this money talk is over. I'll have my husband back. I've gotten through it. I think I'm done. (laughs) Are Are you guys in this with me? This is the heart of Jesus. It can make us uncomfortable. It it can feel awkward. It can sound like somebody's telling us what to do with our money. This is about not doing something in moments that make us feel better. There's value in that. This is about becoming generous. Where we start to see the meaning of life as us, you, me, being a means to an end. All right, we're going we're to do a similar related topic next week, and then we're going to move on, and we're going to start talking about what it is to build a church this summer. We're going we're gonna to get into the weeds of what Jesus dreamt and how it's so different today. We see politics in churches and judging. It's so different than what Jesus intended the church to be, and if we'll be that church, not perfect, but if we'll be that church, I'm telling you, it's just, we're, we're going to be a compelling group of people to people Who are broken or hurting and just need encouragement. And they need to see life. That's what we're going to spend our summer talking about. All right. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life. Talk about giving. Father God, you gave your only son. And may we be people who become generous and walk in generosity. And may we resource our church and invest in our church so that our church can be everything we dream of being, what we're going to talk about this summer and plan together. We do this for you. We do it in worship to you. And we will give you credit for all the stories and all the amazing things that we see happen in and around this community we call Dulles. Amen.